Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. That, that here I am in 2020, July 12th, 2020, um, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of massive social unrest, in the middle of an economic, I don't know, do we call it a depression at this point? I'm not, I'm not a professional here, but uh, a downturn, maybe? Uh, a nightmare? In the middle of an election year. And, and, and I feel like, and maybe this is just me, but I feel like this summer and fall is probably the most pivotal summer and fall of my lifetime, at least for America. I don't know about in Britain or what's going on over across the pond. I know right here, we are in a tinderbox right now. We are in a very precarious, uh, transitional weird time. Everybody is talking about how weird it is, how strange it is, and we are seeing things that, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe in the Civil War, maybe there was a summer and fall that was super important, maybe pivotal, but I feel like in the last, like, 150 years, like, we haven't seen a season, like, the next, you thought the last four months was interesting. We're, we're, we're in the middle of the year. We got four, the next four months is going to be really interesting, and I feel like it's, it's just, Maybe more than coincidence that God would have me preach on Habakkuk chapter 2 during this season that is so pivotal and so crucial and so, uh, one historian called it an axial moment. Uh, and, and actually, uh, I have a slide for you to see how to spell that if you're, if you're not sure. Axial. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. But it's basically, it's a moment where there is an axis. An uh, axis is, is, is a pivotal point on which something turns and bends and shifts. We are in an axial moment as a country in the United States. We're in an axial moment. I think even in the world, the world is shifting and changing, and there are great things happening. And, and it's just interesting. And so, and so I, I'm going to spend a few weeks on verse 4 of Habakkuk chapter 2. That's what I'm going to talk about today. But I am going to come back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. And we're going to talk about how... This chapter is for the end times, how it is applicable to our time and how it speaks. That's what it says. It says it will, it will speak, though it, though, it, though it tarries, wait for it, I think is what King James says. What is interesting, though, is in this verse, every time you see the word it, in the original language, it's technically the word he. So when you read this, it's very interesting. This vision is for a future time. He describes the end and he will bring it to fulfillment if he seems slow in his coming wait patiently for him for he will surely arrive and he will not be stopped anyway i get excited about that one uh so we're going to get into that in a few weeks but for today i want to jump into verse four of chapter two this is i believe the most important verse um, of the entire book of Habakkuk. It's the pivotal, it's the axial verse. I kind of like that word. You're probably going to hear that a few times today. Uh, it's the axial point. It's the, the pivotal moment. It's the most important verse of Habakkuk, potentially the most important verse of the Old Testament, 
Come on, somebody. I never thought that would be edgy. I never thought that I would preach and say, you ought to see people for more than their skin color, and people would be like, <gasps> but anyway, so go ahead, send me emails. That would be lovely. Just, you know, let me know. Just uh, my email address is jt at at citychapelchurch.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and uh, it would be great. But no, uh, th- there's, there's more to, he says, behold the soul. He says, look, why don't you look a little deeper than whether the person's Chaldean or Jewish? Why don't you look a little deeper as to whether he's American or African-American? Why don't you look a little deeper from these distinctions that society likes to put on people? God's not putting those distinctions on people. He says, I want you to look at something deeper. Behold, he says, the soul. And that word soul is interesting. It's not what you and I would think of as soul. When I think of soul, I think of that part of me that is eternal, my spirit, right? Uh, But it's not. The word for soul is, when it's translated into Greek, is psuche. You have to spit twice to say that. You you hock up a psuche, and it's P-S-U-C-H. Um, Ada, which is kind of like a long E, I guess, and make an A sound. But that's where we get our word psyche from, or psychology, or psychiatry. It, it has to do with your brain. He says, behold the mind of the one who is lifted up. I would suggest to you that the problem is not people, and the problem is not even people's reaction to things. The problem is that uh, Habakkuk is living in an axial moment. Carl Jaspers, who is a historian, he wrote, uh, he, he was a historian and a philosopher, he wrote a book a while ago called The Origin and Goal of History. And he, he talked about this period in history. And he said that it was an axial period. It was an axial moment. It was a time when there was a lot of things shifting and moving and pieces were, 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 were being shifted around the board. And, 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 and Habakkuk could hear the, the cracking and the snapping of, of, of institutions that he thought were impregnable. Uh, pregnable. Before that, they, they, they were, they were, they, he thought they were unmovable, and yet they were, they were shifting and moving. And, and Carl Jaspers is actually, I think he was an agnostic, but he was talking about this time in history, and he said, it's almost as if there's an unseen hand that's moving things around. I know, I know whose hand that is. I, I, I'm aware of the one uh, who rise, raises up nations and who casts down nations. I'm aware of the one who changes the hearts of kings like water. And he is shifting things and moving things. I have a map for you to see. And this was just one uh, kind of interesting map that we found online that actually shows at the time of Habakkuk's writing kind of uh, the way things would have looked on the, on the world scene at that time. Everything that's blue is the Babylonian Empire. <laughs> and the little orangish part there is Judah. This is, this is interesting even, if we can just leave it up for just a second, this is interesting even just from the standpoint, when I say that Habakkuk is a man in the middle, right? He's in the middle between the promise of God and the fulfillment of God. He's in the middle of a process where God is shifting and shaking things. He's also geographically, God positioned his people in the middle of the Middle East. Did you know that they were the buffer? Israel and Judah were the buffer between the Babylonians and the Egyptians. Israel and Judah were the buffer between the, Philist, the, the, between the Philistines and the Assyrians. The, the Israel, God's people, it's so interesting to me that God placed his people in the middle of the Middle East to maintain peace in the Middle East. And as soon as God's people left their post, as soon as they abandoned him, they were carried away captive and there was no longer a buffer to fight for peace, to stand for peace. 
that gets into my sermon from last week. You got to stand at your post. But it, it, yeah, you can take it off of the map now. But it's just interesting to me. Habakkuk is looking at this massive, overwhelming kingdom called Babylon, and he is in a massive shift. An axial moment in history. And, it, and, it, and I believe that people respond differently to pivotal moments, axial moments. They respond differently. And what you're seeing here in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, is God describing the two different ways to respond to pivotal moments. You have the proud and you have the just. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. There's two different ways to respond to transitional moments, to upheaval. Habakkuk is, is standing uh, in an earthquake. I don't know if you've ever tried to stand in an earthquake when the ground's going like this. There's, there's so many things that are shifting and it's all happening so fast. You can't, the news can't even keep up with the changes that are happening. And, 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 and Habakkuk is crying out to God about the changes. And God says, no, 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 you have to look, you have to look beyond the changes. It's, 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 there's two ways to respond to these changes. Because when God starts moving continents, when God starts moving kingdoms, when God starts radically shaking things up, everybody responds to it. There are no spectators in axial moments. There are no spectators in pivotal moments in time. Nobody is inactive. Everybody is active because the ground is going like this. Everybody is moving in some direction and in some way. And God said, look, there are two different ways to respond, two different ways to move through this middle, uh, through this moment. There are two different ways to move in this moment. And one is the proud, and the other is the just. Those are the two, the two reactions to the same Movement to the same earthquake, to the same shifts and transitions. And God said, look, you can look at the Babylonians and say that, yes, they are the proud, but they're not all proud. You can look at the Jews and say, yes, they are the, the holy ones, but they're definitely not all holy. And so even within the different camps and the different political parties, you have some people who are proud and some people who are just. And so I want to talk to you today about that difference, about the, the, the way in which each of those make their moves in these moments because I believe that God wants you to make a move in this moment I believe that God wants you to move forward we were just singing about that today uh, about following him forward about moving forward I've been saying this since the very beginning of the pandemic when, when we had to cancel church services and it was just me with a camera I was I was challenging you not whether or not you were going to make it through this moment but but what were you going to look like at the at on the other side of this moment now whether or not you were going to survive but rather what is your spiritual life and what is the strength and vitality of your faith going to be and this is the key because everybody makes it through moments you know, people make it through these difficult moments. They make it through moments of transition. They make it through moments of, of movement and uncertainty and unprecedentedness, if that's a word. We get through the moment, but the question is, what moves are you making in the moment? And you have two different people making two different kinds of moves. You have the one whose soul is lifted up within him. The King James calls it that way. New King James says the proud. I think uh, one other translation says the wicked, but, but his soul is lifted up in him, or his mind is lifted up 
in him. And in the original language, it's talking about his mind. And it's not talking about lifted up like to raise yourself or to believe yourself to be higher than other people. Rather, the word there is to swell. Literally, his, his, his brain is swollen within itself. His thoughts are swollen within himself. He got a fat head. <laughs> he's, 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 what's that movie? It's like Sputnik. Spherical but pointy at parts. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's this, his head is enlarging. It's, it's, it's being enlarged. His thoughts about himself are being enlarged. This is the way that the Bible describes pride. It's not that you think of yourself as better than everybody else. It's that you think of yourself, period. That's pride. Pride is not that you think you're better than other people. Pride is that you think you, period. You just, you just, you're, you're, you, when, when your brain is so swollen that you have no space for any other Opinions, no space for any other perspectives, no space for any other thoughts. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. When your brain is so inflated that there's no room for seeing things from anyone else's point of view, this is the danger of having your brain swollen. How does your brain swell? Your brain swells by maintaining itself, by thinking about itself, by turning in on itself. When as, it, as, as you primarily think about yourself in moments of transitions, in moments of, of, of craziness, when you are only always ever only thinking about yourself, this is where your brain gets bigger and bigger, swelling inside of you. That's what he says. He says, he says the, the, the one whose soul is, is, is swelling inside of him. We were, we were reading a kid's book uh, on our way home from uh, Michigan last week, and um, it, was, uh, it was one of, it was Madden's book she had just read. We were reading, it's, it's about these bunnies. It's really cute. Um, but we were reading it out loud for Micah in the car, and Ro read, was reading it, and it starts off with these two bunnies. They're stranded. I guess they had been on this ship with their king fighting, and they, they jumped ship, and, and they were having this conversation, and the one said, I feel like a traitor for having left my king, and the other one said, you're only a traitor if you betray yourself. And Ro and I both said, which is clearly not true. Just so our kids know that that kind of insanity is very popular nowadays. But uh, please, just get a dictionary and look up the word traitor and find where it says to not be true to yourself. I mean, that's, that sounds like, no, when you tra you're, a traitor is somebody who betrays the duty that he had to something bigger than himself. That's the problem, though, with people whose brains are swollen within themselves. There is nothing bigger than themselves. They are the biggest thing in their world. They are the most important thing in their world. Only a traitor if you betray yourself. Well, if you were only loyal to yourself, I guess that's true. But if you're only loyal to yourself, you're not, following, you're not under anybody. You are officially lost. <laughs> like that's what it means. Go out in the woods and follow yourself. Go for it. That's called being lost. I've been there. It's no fun. You need a compass so that you have some fixed point outside of yourself to figure out how you can move yourself forward. And people who are so full of their own thoughts and their own ideas and their own opinions, they live inside of an echo chamber where they only tune into stuff that agrees with them. They only read stuff that agrees with them. They only hang out with people. And so their brains are swollen. And God says, look, look, I want you to see the way that people respond to uncertainty. Some people turn inward. 
They turn to themselves. They turn to their belief systems. And for them, this is all that they have. Which, by the way, we were, I was thinking about that. I was like, man, that sounds like something like Hannibal Lecter would say, you know? Clarice, I never betrayed myself. Well, you should have. You should have, like, you, you should have betrayed yourself. Like, that would have been a good, that's called being psychopath. Because your brain is just on a, it's only, you, you can only have sympathy for people who are in here. You can only see the perspective of psychopath, one path in this psyche. There's only one thing going on up in here, and it is everything that is in here, and this is the only thing that matters. Like, that's, you know, you go to jail, <laughs> basically. That'll lead you bad places. I'm telling you, this is where violence comes from. This is where, this is where crime comes from. This is where evil comes from, from people who are, who, whose mind is swollen within itself. This is also, by the way, where religious spirits come from come on church members this is where it comes from you're not you're not submitting to the word you're trying to twist the word to submit to your mind you're trying to fit the word you're trying to fit the word into your mind you're not you're not submitting to it there's nothing outside of you that can tell you anything your your biggest question is do i agree with that if that's your biggest question, you are asking the wrong question. Your mind is swollen. You got a fat head. Let me just help save you from your massive head. It's getting in the way. This is, this is how people respond to uncertainty. The one response is to turn to yourself and to be full of yourself. You heard people say they got a big head, right? Don't let it go to your head. Don't let your head get big. Well, that's what they're talking about. This is from the Hebrew. Your brain, to be prideful means your brain has swollen. Your mind has swollen. There's no room for anyone else or anything else or any other sympathy or empathy or understanding any other perspective. It's just me and my thoughts. And God says something about that person. He said, you see the soul or the mind that is swollen? He says, that person is not upright. Specifically, he says, the mind that he has is not upright within him. Meaning that the result of having a swollen mind is not simply to have a swollen mind. It's not simply bigotry. It's not simply... Uh, uh, pointing, name-calling, uh, name finger-pointing, shaming, public shaming. <laughs> hey, I never thought that would be a real common thing. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Uh, once again, send your emails to jt at uh, citychapelchurch.com. Um, no, it's it, like we, we never thought that that would be the common thing. That's not the only thing, though. The problem, the real problem here, he says, is that their, their, their soul is not upright within them. In other words, they're wobbly. In, in pivotal moments, people with really big heads get wobbly. <laughs> Bobbleheads, exactly. Oh, man. It's like he's got his own zip code. It's like an like a apple on a toothpick. <laughs> Stop it, you'll give the kid a complex. Oh, sure, he'll cry himself to sleep in his ginormous pillow. Uh, sorry, that was a... It's a quote. It's an 80s movie, I think. 90s, maybe? I don't know. Um, no, you, they, they, when, when your head gets so swollen, you start, your walk gets wobbly. 
when your head gets swollen, when your brain gets swollen, when you, when you block out every other thought and every other, even the word of God, and you, you refuse to listen to anything else, that's when your walk gets wobbly. He said they're not upright, meaning they're not balanced. They're, they're this way, and then, and then they're that way. This is how you can know that your head's a little swollen when your walk becomes wobbly. I hope I'm not the only person that can admit that sometimes my walk has been wobbly. Uh, even, yeah, we got all right. Yeah, go, go ahead, give me a hand. If you're brave enough, if you're brave enough, you've got some hands here in the room. If you're brave enough, the camera guy, I love it. Uh, if you're brave, if, I wasn't pointing to you, but that's cool. Uh, he's falling under conviction right now. I'm talking, okay, no, no. If you're watching right now, just give me an emoji with a hand up if, if you have been wobbly in your walk before. I mean, even Peter, he goes out on the waves and he's, and he's walking toward Jesus, but then his head starts to get a little big because he starts noticing all the difficulties and all the problems around him, and he forgets that the source of his strength is Jesus, and his head starts enlarging because he starts thinking all about his stuff that's in here, nothing that's in front of there. He's not looking to Jesus, he's looking to himself, and he's wondering, how can I handle this? What can I do about this? And he begins to sink, and, and the waves push him one direction and push him another direction, and that's what happens. In, in when you're standing in an earthquake the ground is moving under your feet and so you're not stable and so you're moving from this opinion over here to this opinion over here and, 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 and you, you make a commitment here but then a wave comes and you can't quite keep the commitment there and you find yourself over here and you're like well no I really wanted to do that and you try to get over there y your walk isn't wobbly your walk is kind of like this it's not, it's not straight. It's not upright. He's not upright within him. He's not straight. Some days he has a good attitude, and other days he has a really bad attitude. And that's the problem when you're full of yourself and of your own thinking. You, 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 your hormones of the day affect your activity and your actions of the day. And so he says, look, look, Habakkuk, it's, it's, people aren't the problem. The problem is I'm moving things and I'm shaking things. However, people are responding differently to the moving and the shaking based on their hearts. So he says, look, you need to be careful, Habakkuk, that you don't get stuck in your own head because when you get stuck in your head, your head gets enlarged and your walk gets wobbly. Your walk starts moving. You start wavering in your faith. He says, but the just shall live by their faith. And I trust that if you're not there yet, if you're not one of the just, I trust that, that, that you can move in that direction. If you have wobbly faith, it's all right. We've all had wobbly faith before. We've all, we've all started, started thinking about ourselves way too much. We've been stuck in our heads way too much. We haven't gotten out of this, this skull right here way too much, and that's caused our feet to start to wobble. But he says there's a solution to it. The solution is that the just, the upright, the straight, will live. There's some intentionality there. This is why I say, not if you are going to survive, I believe you are going to survive this pandemic, not if you're going to survive, but how are you going to survive? Maybe you should stop asking God how long this night's going to last and start asking yourself, how much ground am I going to have covered when the sun comes up in the morning? The question is not, am I going to survive? The just will live. The just definitely, absolutely will live. 
The just will live. The question is, how are you going to live? What movements are you going to make? Are you going to continue to vacillate and wobble between two opinions? Are you going to continue to ride the wave of culture and society? Like, you know, when, 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 when society is good with COVID, you're good with COVID. When society is not good with COVID, you're not good with COVID. How much effect is the earthquake, the shaking ground going to have on you and on your actions and on your ability and on your attitude? The just shall live, not by a news report, but by their faith. To hear from God about masks or not masks. To hear from God about coming to church or not coming to church. This is the key. The just shall live, not by what a preacher says either, but by their faith. The just shall live, and they shall live. This is not a question. They are moving forward. They are making moves. And we're standing on the same shaky ground. Habakkuk is standing on the same tectonic plate movement that's happening in his moment that all of the, his people around him, by the way, Jeremiah is a contemporary of Habakkuk. Jeremiah is standing on that ground. Daniel is another near contemporary of Habakkuk, also standing on that shaky ground. And so, so God's saying, look, there are in fact people that are responding out of pride and out of arrogance to the shaking and the shifting of the moment, but there are other people that are in the exact same boat. Right? There are 11 disciples in the boat that are crying out for fear, and there's one disciple in the boat who says, Lord, if it's you, call me to come to you. They're all in the same boat. They just have different perspectives. So God says, Habakkuk, look, the just shall live by their faith. How do you stand on an axis? Well, it's called balance. And this is something that, honestly, the church has needed to learn for a long time. I'm thankful that God's given us a chance to walk through the crucible of balance. Because we're really bad at it. And in fact, humans in general are really bad at balance. We, we pendulum swing from one thing to another. But there is, there is a just. There is, a, there is an alignment that I believe God wants us to come into. He wants us to shift from imbalance to balance. Now, this is the key though balance feels different than it looks if you watch somebody walking a tightrope you say wow look at that person he's just so straight and so balanced if you actually walk a tightrope you feel that you're about to fall at any given moment uh, when I was six, my mom thought it would be a good idea for me to get into gymnastics. And so I got up on that balance beam. I was afraid of heights. And that thing was like as tall as me, you know. And you had to walk along that And it, I mean, it's like this wide, so you should be able to do it. But when you're afraid of heights and you have to put one foot in front of another, I mean, you feel like you're about to. So they tell you, what, what do they tell you? They tell you to stick your arms out. Why? Because that helps with balance. Well, no, it doesn't. I'm standing right here just fine. Well, no, it helps when, when you are in, on an axis. What it does is it, is it, I shouldn't say it helps with balance. The result is balance, but th what it helps you do is correct. It helps you have constant correction, which is, by the way, what airplanes are doing all the time. Uh, like I said, I've flown a lot. I've been in some crazy storms. And if you're afraid of flying, uh, let me tell you, I've been in some crazy storms. And uh, let me just give you a clue. As long as the plane is going like this, you're good. I mean, there might be lightning 
striking right next to the plane. You might be in, you know, massive winds and it's so dark you can't see anything. As long as the plane's going like this, you're good. Why? Because that means that the pilot is correcting. Because the wind is trying to pull the plane in any particular direction. But when you're going like this up and down, that means the pilot has control enough to be able to adjust and achieve balance. Balance is not this. Balance is this. <laughs> balance is not... See, like, if, if, if a plane is ever like this in a storm, you're in trouble. Because what that means is, pretty soon the tail's going to start going like this. And that's when you're in danger of a, of a spin. The most deadly thing that can happen is for the pilot to get so focused on his balance that he forgets about his direction and the direction shifts. And if the storm can shift your direction, then it'll spin the plane out and you'll, you'll fall from the sky. You can't fly that way. Planes are designed for constant correction, not for a, a shift in direction like that. And so there's a movement that's good and then there's a movement that's bad. And so in, in, in life, it's that way. In your Christian life, it's that way. There is a constant correction that's good. But there is a fixed and focal point of direction that you must maintain to keep going toward Jesus, to keep going toward prayer, to keep going toward Scripture, to keep going toward forgiveness, to keep going toward repentance, to keep moving toward submission to the Holy Spirit, to keep moving toward humility, to keep moving toward openness, to keep moving toward repentance of sin. But there's this constant correction, meaning that you're not going to ever be perfect, but that, that there must be a constant correction that moves you toward a place of balance. To give you an example, uh, I was talking to Micah. Um, Micah, we, we do bedtime stories. Uh, and this week he'd asked me about a time when I was... So we asked him, so I, I tell him, just pick a year in my life and I'll tell you a story about it. So he wanted a story from when I was 14. So I told a story about when I was 14. And uh, I said, man, that was actually a pivotal moment in my life. That was an axial, trying to throw that word in there, axial moment in my life. Because, and I'm trying to explain it to a, to a nine-year-old. And so the way I explained it, I said it was, the, it was the year when God really like did something in my heart that took out some stuff, some junk that I had inside of me that uh, was stopping me from being able to hear God. And so Micah said, well, why do you have to be perfect for God to speak to you? And I said, well, you don't have to be perfect for God to speak to you. You have to get sin out of your life for you to be able to hear him. Sin is like earplugs. It stops you from being able to hear God. So it's not that God's not speaking. It's that you can't hear him. And, 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 and he said, okay. And so I said, when I was 14, I, 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 I figured out that no matter how many times I tried and tried to obey my parents, to read the Bible, to pray, no matter how, that there was something else going on. That it wasn't just these habits, I was only 14, it wasn't just these desires, these things out there, these temptations, it was something inside of here. That there was something inside of me that was swelling. 
You know, like, it, it, like, like the pride, he said the proud, their, their mind is swollen inside of them. They cannot achieve balance because they're imbalanced in here. They're, they're not in alignment with the word of God here. And so I said there was something inside of me that was out of alignment with God. So no matter how many times I tried to walk with God, I eventually would, would get wobbly in my walk. I would eventually slip off from the track. I'd fall off the band. It was like dieting, you know? It's like you're good for a week or two weeks, and then you fall off the bandwagon. And so it was, it was very similar to that because inside of me, I really wanted Twinkies. Come on, somebody. I, I just I never stopped desiring the stuff I was denying myself. And I figured out at age 14 that that wasn't going to work. I mean, it was going to work if I wanted to be miserable for the rest of my life, but either I needed to, like, move on from this Christian thing and try something else, or there must be more to the Christian life than simply wobbling into sin and then wobbling back into righteousness and then wobbling into sin. That maybe God has something for what is inside of me. That maybe God has a solution for that. And, of course, Scripture tells us, the Old Testament prophet tells us that God wants to and that he will remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. He does have a solution for the swelling of our own mind, our own pride, and our own arrogance. He does have a solution. And 1 John chapter 1 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That is the solution of your wobbling walk. But then he says he's able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's dealing with cleansing. That's dealing with the stuff in here and the stuff in here. And so I was telling Micah about that, and Micah said, well, I want that. Because I, I said, it's really, it's really so much easier to follow God when your first response is not a bad attitude. When your first response is not anger, when your first response is not jealousy, when your first response is not lust. Like, it's so much easier to follow God when your first response is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that ever since 14, I haven't wobbled in my faith. It doesn't mean I haven't, but, but it's, it's different when you choose to walk away from God. See, at age 14, I would have a bad attitude before I even knew I was having a bad attitude. Because it was just natural. I was naturally a bad attitude in my heart. But when God changed out my heart, when he cleaned out my heart, then I was no longer naturally that way. I could choose to pick that up from somebody. I could choose to step into that, and I have, unfortunately, from time to time. But, but I'm telling you, it's so much different. Oh, the joy of full salvation that we sang about today. Because there's such rest in that. And so Micah said, well, I really want that. And I said, well, it's kind of late. You know, I don't have time to go through the whole Old Testament, get into the New Testament, like read Phoebe Palmer. I mean, I, I don't know how, what to tell you. And he's like, well, you know, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I said, well, first off, it's by faith. The just shall live by faith. When he was seven, he gave his heart to Jesus. And I said, man, if you would have died before that, where would you have gone? He said, well, I think I would have gone to hell. I said, That's probably true. If you reject Jesus, yes. Uh, but if you die now, where would you go? He said, I go to heaven. I said, how do you know that? And he said, well, the Bible says that? I said, yes, that's called faith. That's called faith. The Bible says it. I believe it. Even though I have no other outward evidence of it, God says he's cast 
Micah's sin, as far away from, his, from him as the east is from the west. God says he's erased the memory of it. Even though you can still remember it, I can still remember it, I can still feel guilty about it if I want to, but God says he's removed it, and so you have to receive it by faith. It's faith, it's believing that God is right. And so I said, that's the same thing here, that you read First John and you believe it. I said, but it's a little more complicated than that, because honestly, my journey wasn't just somebody sharing the word with me. Oh, okay, yes, I believe it. And boom, it happened. Instead, there was a process. And so I'll share the process with you all. All right, the process is that the just shall live by faith. In other words, uh, the just shall live by the just. There must be this, this desire for alignment, for justness. There must be an intention to correct and to correct. And one thing that God spoke to me when I was 14 was because I didn't even know all the stuff that was out of alignment in my own heart. And so I said, God, would you reveal it to me? And what God spoke to me was, he said, every time I reveal it to you, I need you to confess it and repent of it right away, right there, right where you are. And I said, okay. And he said, well, but, you know, by kneeling wherever you are. And so I'm not saying that that's the Bible. You do whatever you want with that. But I felt like I needed the humility because I'm kind of a proud person naturally. My brain swells up within itself. I get pretty confident of myself. I need the humility that in the middle of a restaurant that I would kneel down, turn around at my chair, put my head down, and confess it to God and repent of it right away. I was on my paper route, riding my bike on my paper route, and God spoke to me about something. And so I stopped, got off my bike, knelt down at the—I'm sure my, you know, the, my customers were, like, thinking I was crazy. Um, and I'm praying. I'm confessing and so, and so I said, man, this is, this is part of the constant correction that will help you get to the place where God wants you to be. Because Jesus said that the, it is the altar which sanctifies the gift. The altar makes the gift holy and pure. <clears throat> so the key then, if you are the gift, because Hebrews says, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. If you are the gift, you have to stay on the altar. The problem is, when somebody says something you don't like, or they accuse you of something, or, you know, you see something on Facebook or whatever, you get off the altar, and you go tell the person exactly what you think. And not that any of you have ever done that. But anyway, some of us just hop right off the altar because it's like, I got something to say, you know? And Micah sometimes hops off the altar because um, he's, you know, he's nine. And his sister is a sister. And we have a puppy. And we have a farm. And life. And he's doing school. I feel sorry for him. I have, I've been liberated and saved from school. The Lord delivered me years ago. And uh, I don't have to do that anymore. But I, I, I'm, I'm praying for him to just make it through. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. And so you get off the altar. You don't even know you're off the altar. You don't even know you're acting in the flesh because you're just so used to acting that way. You just hop off. You're just doing your thing. But as soon as you realize it, you must stop what you're doing and get back up on the altar. As soon as you realize this plane's going like this, you have to recorrect it. You have to constant correcting, constant correction. You have to pull and pull and then pull and then pull and then pull. You have to, as soon as you realize that you're off the altar, get back on the altar. And this is what I said. I said, look, if you just, like the altar is fueled by fire. In other words, if you're just on it long enough, you will get roasted. 
And that's the goal. You have, to, you have to balance through this thing long enough to where self and flesh finally die. If you want to get rid of the swelling of your brain, you, there's only one way. You must betray yourself. Because yourself would happily drag you to hell. Yourself is not your friend. Your identity is not your friend. This world is not your friend. They may be friendly, call Rich Mullins, but they never be a friend. And sometimes this has bent me to the ground. But, but it's part of, you must realize that you are not your friend. You don't have your best interest at heart. Yourself, your swollen head, your swollen pride is not your friend. You must treat it as an enemy. You must destroy it. Stay on the altar. And then when you get off, get back on. And when you get off, get back on again. No matter how many times you have to apologize to your mom or to your sister, you get back on the altar and you do it quickly. You, do it, you, don't, you, you don't live off the altar for very long because then you'll erase all the progress you made while you were on it. You get back on quickly, quickly, quickly. And the quicker you get back on, the more death comes to your flesh, the more life comes to your spirit. So in the book of Acts, we have a, a picture of this. And I just want to close with this picture. And by close, I mean start my second point. Um, Acts chapter 3. Uh, and we're going to put this up on the screen for those of you watching at home because this is a powerful story of Peter after he's denied Christ, after he's fallen while trying to walk on the water, and now he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it says in uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth meaning he couldn't walk, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. What an interesting juxtaposition. We have a, a broken man at a gate that is called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. See, people in axial transitional moments, people who are in desperate, difficult times, they often look at what they're lacking, and that's what they're asking for. So they ask him for money so that he can stay sitting there by the gate called Beautiful for even longer. But Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. And this is what he gives him. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk, and he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping. <laughs> became a charismatic. Walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit uh, begging at the temple, the gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John. I like that in verse 11. The man was holding on to Peter and John. Why is he holding on to them? Because they're the ones who healed him. This is old school, but... You might want to hold on to the hand that helped you when you were down. You might want to remember the people that stood up for you when you were down. Anyway, he holds on to Peter and John. 
All the people were astonished. They came running to him in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? So when I say that the just shall live by faith, I'm not talking about your own justice, your own power, your own godliness. Peter thought this was evident. How could my own godliness and my own power produce this? Why are you surprised? He says in verse 13, It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, handed him over to be killed, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. And this is the key verse right here in verse 16. He says, By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. For the just shall live by faith. It is by faith that, you, that God removes a heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. It is by faith that you submit to the word of God and you repent in your marriage. It is by faith. It is by faith. He says, look, it is faith that is our strength. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. This is interesting to me because Peter said, silver and gold have I, none, have I none, but what I have I give to you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus. What Peter gave to the lame man beside the road was not healing. He gave him, rather, the name of Jesus. He says, I don't have silver or gold because I'm not relying on silver or gold for my daily bread, I, but I do have the name that is above every other name. I do have the name of Jesus, and it is in his name that my faith is residing. It is, in his, it is by his name that I believe I'm going to be taken care of tomorrow. I am, I am living by faith in the name, and so then he says, in the name, would you like to stand and walk? Like, 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 like on my legs that don't work? No, not on your legs, in the name. You're not standing in your strength. You're not standing in your legs. You're standing in the name. He says, look, in the name of Jesus, would you like to come stand? I am walking in the name, in the power, and in the, in the ability of Jesus by faith in Jesus. Now, I'm giving you the opportunity to step into that same power, to step into that same capability. And so once again, it's not this, what I mean by constant correction is not that you, 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 you learn how to be more holy than you used to be. I mean, you, get, you constantly put yourself in the name of Jesus until you actually believe, until you actually receive. So sometimes you have to put yourself in the name of Jesus. What does it mean to put yourself? The name is the reputation of Jesus. It is the authority of Jesus. It is the, the track record of Jesus. It is the person of Jesus. It is, it is the power of Jesus. It is a representation of all that he is and all that he has said and all that he has been from generation to generation. And what Peter said is, look, if you'll join me in the name, then your feet will work. If you'll join me in the name, then your marriage will work. If you'll join me in the name, then peace and joy and faithfulness will well up inside of you. If you you will join me. Come walk in the name of Jesus. 
Come stand in the name of Jesus. This man rises up and starts jumping on legs that previously didn't work, not because Peter had healed his legs, but because Peter had welcomed him to step into Jesus. And that's what's so interesting. The just shall live by faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. So faith comes by receiving Jesus. So you put faith, so you get faith from Jesus, and then you put faith in Jesus. And Jesus gives you faith, and then Jesus receives your faith, and then he gives you faith, and then he receives your faith. And it's this symbiotic, uh, natural growth, life vibe that's happening between you and Jesus. Just as a baby can't survive in the initial stages apart from its mother, we cannot survive apart from Jesus. We are, we are in him. We are getting our nutrition from him. We are getting our life source from him. And all of the growth that's happening in us is happening because of him. If something were to happen to him, our growth would stop. If, and and, and we, we are dependent on him. And so here's a man who receives the name, puts faith in the name, and then receives faith from the name. <laughs> and I believe that same offer is available to each and every one of us. There are two kinds of people that react in two different ways to axial moments. There are the proud, their brain gets bigger and bigger and bigger and their walk gets wobblier and wobblier and wobblier. And then there are the just. Their life gets more balanced and more balanced. And then there comes a time when God steps in and removes the, the swollen head and the, the stone heart. And he, plays, he places a, a good, what does the scripture say? Let each man think of himself as he ought. He gives us a good size head. And he gives us a heart of flesh that can actually bring life into these, these broken systems. So if you're watching today and God's speaking to you, I want to, I want to offer to you the same thing that, uh, that I have received. I want to offer to you the name of Jesus. I want to offer you the power of Jesus. Once again, it's not me. It's not Peter. It's not John. I can't do anything for you. I can't lay my hand on you and fix anything, you know, shout or anything. Like, nothing is from me. But I can tell you about a name that is greater than any other name, that is higher than cancer, that is higher than COVID, that is higher than race, that's higher than an election. I can tell you a name of someone who, as Peter went on to explain, was killed for us, was broken for us, carried our sicknesses and diseases, was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and chastised so that we could have peace. I can tell you about the name who empowers lame people to walk both physical legs and spiritual legs and emotional brokenness. He raises, he raises broken people out of the dust. 
He puts orphans in families. He brings captives and sets them in a place of freedom. He takes lepers, outcasts, and he brings them into the inner circle and cleanses their leprosy. He, he takes dead people and raises them from the dead. If you'll put your faith in him, he'll radically transform you. And if you'll keep your faith in him, <laughs> you will live by faith. Father, we come before you.